topic of our discourse this evening is the Papadita Sutta. And Satna, this translates as Satna fallen. The Papadita Sutta is given in the fourth book, or in the book of the fours, as the second Satna discourse of the Angutra Nikaya. And it's a relatively short Satna discourse, yet Satna full of meaning. Now, allow me to first read out to you the uh, English translation of Satna the Bhapadita Sutta as uh, given by the Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi. And I'm quoting, At Sawati, O monastics, O lay retreatants, one who does not possess four things is said to have fallen from the Dhamma and discipline. What for? One who does not possess noble and virtuous behavior is said to have fallen from the Dhamma and discipline. Number two, one who does not possess noble concentration is said to have fallen from the Dhamma, from this Dhamma and discipline. Number three, one who does not possess noble wisdom is said to have fallen from this Dhamma and discipline. And finally, one who does not possess noble liberation is said to have fallen from this Dhamma and discipline. One who does not possess these four things is said to have fallen from this Dhamma and discipline. But, O monastics, O lay retreatants, one who possesses four things is said to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. What for? Number one, one who possesses noble, virtuous behavior is said to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. One who possesses noble concentration is said to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. Number three, one who possesses noble wisdom is said to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. And as number four, one who possesses noble liberation is said to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. One who possesses these four things 
is said to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. And the discourse ends certainly with a short stanza or gata, namely, collapsed and fallen, they fall away, the greedy ones come back again. Done is the task, the delightful is delighted in, happiness is reached by happiness. Now, since some of the Pali terms will be important for a better understanding of this certain discourse, allow me to give you the Pali just for the first paragraph. Chattuhi bikawe dhammihi asamana gato imasma dhammavinya papadito ti uchiti katamihi chattuhi ariyena bikawe silena asamana gato imasma dhammavinya papadito ti uchiti then the same thing in the case of noble concentration, Ariena Bikwe, the Madina Athamana Gato, Imasma Damawinia, Papatitoti Wuchiti, and then Ariya Bikwe. Pinyaya asamana gato imasma damawinia papatitoti wuchiti. And finally, ariyaya bekawe wimutiya asamana gato imasma damawinia papatitoti wuchiti. Now, there's some terms that needs uh, that need further explanations the term papatito occurs in this text uh, time and again and the related uh, verb is papatati and this may assume various meanings such as to fall down or to fall off or to fall from or as our venerable Nisarupanita Bhimsa of Fatna Burma explained on several occasions this verb may also assume the meaning of tumbling down tumbling down in a helter-skelter manner. And Papatita is a person who falls away from, who tumbles from, in a helter-skelter manner. Now, the next uh, 
polyturbance requires a definition and an explanation is that of dhamma as part of the compound term dhamma vinya. Now, based on the etymology of the term dhamma, namely, going back to its certain very root, being dhar, the, the dhamma is that which uplifts, upholds, guards, protects, supports that which forms a foundation and upholds. Now, the Dhamma has also been explained as a norm which over time will shape our thinking, our views, attitudes and actions. And the more we practice, the more the Dhamma becomes an inner reality and certainly the, the Dhamma is uh, not no longer something external but something that uh, um, is part of our um, own being. Now, the second term, vinya, in the compound certain term, in a general way, may be translated as norm of conduct, as ethics, as morality, or simply put, as certain good behavior. The term vinya translates uh, furthermore as a code of ethics or the monastic discipline, a rule or rules of fatna, virtuous conduct. Now, the Pali English Dictionary, as published by the Pali Text Society, the PTS, explains the term vinya as follows, namely by saying its first meaning is as driving out, abolishing destruction and removal, and in the sense as given in the vinya pitaka, namely as Akusalanam, Dhammanam, Vinayaya, Dhammam Desemi. So I teach the removal of unwholesome uh, Dhammas, or the destruction, the abolishing of fatness, such unwholesome Dhammas. Now, the term Vinaya may uh, take on another meaning, namely as a rule in logic or a way of saying or 
judging. Now, this term Dhamma Arunya is or has been translated by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi as Dhamma and Discipline. So, leaving the term Dhamma because of its uh, many shades of meaning untranslated and certainly then translating Vinaya as discipline. Now, so it is in four ways that we fall or fall away or tumble in a helter-skelter manner from the Dhamma and discipline. And those certain four ways are when we do not possess noble uh, virtuous conduct, when we do not possess noble concentration, when we are not fulfilled with noble wisdom, and when we are not endowed with noble liberation. Now, would you cherish tumbling away from, or tumbling from the Dhamma and Winian? Dhamma and discipline? Is this something to be strewn for? You would say yes, no? No. This is something that we don't want to do. But instead, we want to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. Now, to focus on the line, or the following line, one who does not possess noble and virtuous behavior is said to have fallen from this Dhamma and discipline. So the question here is, how does this happen? What are the circumstances under which we fall from this Dhamma and certain discipline? So when we do not certainly possess noble virtuous conduct, then this certainly means that we are not certainly fulfilling the precepts, be those the five precepts, or for us here on retreat, the eight certain um, precepts. And 
without we will be performing or engaging in transgressions in the form of taking life, in the form of taking what is not given, in the form of indulging in sexual activities, by indulging in wrongful speech, and certainly furthermore, in the context of the five precepts, of indulging in intoxicating substances. And then apart from this, certainly taking solid food after 12 o'clock noon, and solar noon, and certainly then mm, not observing the seventh precinct, so then enjoying dancing, singing, playing instruments, visiting shows, and adorning ourselves certainly with flower garlands, cosmetics, and perfumes, as well as using iron large seats and beds. Now, The Dhamma is the, the can the Dhamma be gained? Can the Dhamma be understood by engaging in unethical conduct? Is that something that is possible? Not really. Now, when we are not endowed or do not possess noble, virtuous conduct, then it is highly, or then we will be performing things doing things by by way of bodily conduct, by way of verbal conduct, that is going to be, uh, that is going to bring harm to ourselves, that is going to bring harm to others, and that is going to lead to mm, or bring harm to both ourselves and others. Now, such kind of conduct that disrespects ethical an ethical code of certain conduct is certainly then known in the Pali scriptural language as dusila, as lacking in virtue. Now, in which ways 
do we bring harm onto ourselves? In which ways do we pile suffering onto ourselves? Well, having performed, having transgressed bodily or verbally, what happens? Nothing happens. We suffer. We suffer, yes, okay. And Ah, shame and remorse might come up. There you go. Anything else? Any other consequences? Might get arrested and thrown in jail. Oh, we might get arrested and thrown in jail. There you go. And now there's still further consequences. Now, the texts speak of four uh, consequences, and all four of them are you know, rather unfortunate consequences of ethical transgressions. The so-called four dangers, four bias. The first one is, as Mary correctly said, we will end up with a bad conscience. We will feel remorse over uh, our unethical conduct. That's the first. So the danger of self-blame. The second one, the second danger that is to be expected upon mm, transgressing bodily or verbally is that of criticism by the wise. So the criticism, criticism by the wise, could include, let's say, teachers, could include our parents, could include the elders and respected members of the community, etc. Now, if we get public and publicly criticized for our conduct, now then is that very um, rewarding, very satisfying? Not really. And nowadays, to apply this to the modern world, even if some elder in society is not saying anything, the media will not shy back from pointing out uh, uh, immoral conduct. And so, if one transgresses in one way or another, sooner or later, one's name will appear in the newspaper, or it will be, um, or our story might appear on television. Do you look forward to that? <laughs> Is that something you cherish? Maybe not. Now, the third danger or fear that lurks when we engage in ethical or in unethical conduct, so in transgressing ethical precepts, consists in what Satna Achankimakut has rightly said. 
action being taken by the authorities. And so we might end up with a ticket for parking in the wrong spot, or we might uh, uh, risk losing our driver's license, or we might, in the case of tax, not paying taxes, due taxes, we might have to then pay a fine for that, or in a really serious case, we might end up in jail. Now, some people are smart and manage to avoid being picked up by the authorities. However, there's the fourth fear or the fourth danger, and this comes in the form of what? The hereafter. The hereafter. There you go. So this comes, this in the Pali scripture language is known as Dugati Beya. The danger or the fear of uh, um, ending up in an, or taking um, rebirth in an unfortunate existence. So we might get away, we might uh, um, conduct ourselves in a way that we do not get picked up by you know, the authority, authorities of the country, but you know, to um, falling into a state of loss, this is something that goes beyond our control and our smartness. And that is a tangible danger. Now, when you consider these negative consequences of dus of dusila, of transgressing ethical norms, then would you agree with the Papatita Sutta or disagree? that indeed one is falling or tumbling from this Dhamma and discipline. Agree or disagree? <laughs> Clearly, you what? We agree. We agree, okay. Now, In terms of our standard as a human being, if you compare the standard of a person who repeatedly engages in unethical conduct, so when you compare it, you know, the standard of standard of living of such a person with the standard of living of a person who 
make sure to perform only ethical or, or to, to ensure ethical conduct, then would you say there's a difference or not? Yes? There's a big difference. So there's a huge difference between one who's ready you know, to take and who's ready to and actually um, doesn't feel ashamed you know, to take life, to take what is not given, to indulge in you know, sexual misconduct and certainly so on, and a person who is endowed with ethical conduct and shies away, shrinks away you know, from uh, any form of unethical conduct. Now, a person who is prepared to and actually engages in unethical bodily and verbal conduct, his or her mind, what would you be, what would you say, is... uh, rather impure or pure impure would you say his or her mind is of a low standard or high standard low standard and would you qualify unethical conduct as being uh, rather inspiring or would you say this is rather (laughs) despicable (laughs) despicable there you go now the mind that goes or out of which then unethical conduct grows or follows such a mind is indeed an impure mind a mind of a low standard a mind that is not refined that is uncultivated etc and that is we could certainly add is over most likely overwhelmed by greed, hatred, and delusion. Now, in a mind of a person who is ready to engage in unethical conduct, would you say it is likely for uh, for faith or confidence, sadda, for effort, viriya, for mindfulness, 
for sati, for concentration, samadhi, and a wisdom, banya, to arise in such a mind. And a person in the, uh, yeah, in the mind of a person, of such a person. Even not. And as Sadhna Marcia outlined in her earlier discourse on Wednesday evening on Kamma, Kamma means not only action, but as Sadhna the Buddha as Sadhna explained very clearly, this is tantamount to volition. Volition or motivation. So when we engage in unethical conduct, then this will be accompanied by a number of unwholesome mental states and so a mind you know, that certainly mm, operates you know, with unwholesome states and certainly in conjunction with certain, you know, with volitions, those volitions, Chaitanya, will be clearly unwholesome and will have uh, unwholesome results. That certainly might uh, manifest either in this existence or a future existence. And there's still other aspects certain that could be considered around Gamma and Vipaka. Now, Mental states, strong mental states, unwholesome mental states, that lead a person to indulge in unethical conduct are known. An unethical conduct that actually leads to uh, a bodily or verbal transgression are known as what? Well? Unwholesome mental states, strong unwholesome mental states, states, okay, still more specific than this? Ah, there you go. Spot on. So, <laughs> transgressive defilements. There you go. So, what certainly is involved here are your kilesas, mental defilements, and these come in three grades, and certainly the worst of certainly those certain three grades are your transgressive defilements, vittikamma kilesa, in the Pali scriptural language. Now, 
to briefly then give you the translator, the definition for what is meant by a defilement. The defilement skilisa are so called because they afflict kilisanti or torment the mind or because they defile beings by dragging them down to a mentally soiled and depraved condition. And the mental defilements are not given as being ten in number. Greed, hatred, delusion, conceit, wrong view, doubt, sloth, restlessness, shamelessness, and fearlessness of wrongdoing are those ten defilements. Now, the next grade of defilements are your so-called obsessive defilements, pariyutana kilisa in the Palitna scriptural language. And they're termed obsessive defilements because these are defilements that do not yet lead to an actual bodily or verbal transgression, but rather happen only on a mental level, such as the wish to harm another person, to torment another person, to harass another person, or even beyond that, or the desire to take what is not given, or you know, the, des- you know, the deliberate intention you know, to mm, speak what is untruth, and so on and so forth. So this happened only on a mental level. Whereas in the case of the transgressive, the defilements, they lead to actual bodily and verbal manifestations. Now, the third and the most subtle form of mental defilements comes in the form of the so-called anusia gilesa, latent or dormant gilesas. So these are defilements that lie in an inactive, that are present in the stream of consciousness, but they're inactive. They're inactive, they are in a dormant state. And only when a certain trigger arises will these latent defilements then turn spring into uh, action and so turn into obsessive defilements or even further into transgressive defilements.
Now, having explained and having, from your side, understood the concept, the nature of not possessing noble and virtuous behavior or the conduct and being aware of what this certainly implies including the danger of tumbling from or falling away from the Dhamma discipline then we may want to do what? We may want to practice, yes. And more specifically, we may want to overcome unethical behavior, unethical conduct. And this is achieved in a very simple manner. For you may be simple, but certainly for others not necessarily. So, by overcoming, so overcoming unethical conduct by uh, virtuous conduct, by training in virtuous conduct, which in the Pali, in the scriptural language, is given as sila seka. Now, what exactly is meant by sila, ethical conduct? The Visuddhimagga gives in yeah, the Visuddhimagga gives the following definition of sila. It says the characteristic of virtue is composing silana in the Pali scriptural language. And this composing or silana then that being you know, the first uh, as or the first interpretation of this is as coordinating samadana in the Pali scripture language, namely coordinating our physical and verbal conduct in accordance with what? In accordance with what? Precepts, or you might say virtuousness. That's correct. And so the characteristic of sila is coordinating our bodily and verbal conduct with mm, well the with the norm of of ethics if you like to 
or virtuousness, of virtue, of morality, etc. Ethical conduct. And thus, to not allow an inconsistency of our bodily and verbal conduct and certainly the mind or our virtuousness, sorry, to be more uh, precise. Now, the second interpretation of this characteristic as composing is as upholding upadarana in the Pali scriptural language, which then serves as a foundation for profitable states. So upholding wholesome mental states do not arise out of a morass of un, of unethical conduct, but rather they can um, arise and flourish only when based in virtuous conduct. The function of virtue is twofold. The first aspect is the action to stop misconduct, unethical behavior, and the second certain function is the achievement as the quality of blamelessness in virtuous men and women. The manifestation Pachupatana in Bali of virtue is as purity. Bodily purity, verbal purity, and uh, uh, mental purity, indirectly mental purity. And moral, the two beautiful factor, mental factors of moral shame and fear of wrongdoing, hiri and otapa, are said to be the proximate causes for the arising of virtue. Now, when our conduct fulfills this definition of Fatnasila, then we will not have to worry about those for dangers or fear, as Satna mentioned earlier on. And when we overcome unethical conduct through ethical conduct, then 
wholesome yeah, mental states that yeah, will yeah, then our conduct will be ethical, will be beautiful, will qualify as um, cultivated, will be pure in conduct, high of a high quality, etc. And with this, we are said not to fall from this Dhamma and discipline, not to tumble in a helter and skelter manner from this Dhamma and discipline, but rather to be secure in this Dhamma and discipline. Now, the Visuddhimanga, in its definition of sila, gives as proximate cause for the arising of a sila, moral shame and moral fear of wrongdoing. Can you see any other factors that would motivate you to engage in ethical conduct? beyond Hiri and Otapa. Anything beyond that? Desire for purity, desire for rebirth in wholesome states, um, any number of benefits of conducting oneself in a wholesome fashion. Uh-huh. Guarding the sense doors. Guarding the sense doors, that would help. Desire, no, okay. And still beyond? Meta. Meta and? I'm going to say the appeal of the arising of wholesome mind states that occur in that. There you go. So the mm, cherishing the prospect of having wholesome mental states rather than unwholesome mental states. Yes. What you're saying is about that, along that line. Now, Loving-kindness, metta, and compassion can be seen as two major mental forces that encourage wholesomeness. Namely, out of a wish for the welfare and happiness of others, we simply refrain from anything that could harm them. So, meta being the driving force. Now, seeing the suffering of another human being, or being in general, we do not want to add to that certain suffering and hence again mm, rather than engaging in uh, transgressions we engage in ethical conduct we observe the precepts and so in these two ways by by way of out of a sense of or spirit of loving kindness metta and a spirit of mm, compassion, uh, wanting 
to remove the suffering of beings we do not deliberately do not engage in unethical conduct and by refraining from unethical conduct through loving kindness and through compassion what will be the outcome for us happiness yes beyond that we will be protected we will be protected and uh, mm, since we're not engaging in transgressions we have nothing to worry about and certainly then um, we will automatically be protected now the mind of a person who possesses noble virtuous conduct and thus is the person is secure in the dhamma and discipline such a mind can be described as mentioned just earlier on as a mind of a high standard rather than a low standard of a pure mind rather than an impure mind and mm, a mind in which wholesome states prevail rather than unwholesome states a mind that is cultivated that is refined and certain that is uh, endearing and such a mind certainly could be described in many other uh, ways one could add it's an upright mind and uh, a healthy mind etc now let us uh, take our exploration a step further and then see what all of this means in terms of not possessing noble concentration and on the other hand possessing noble concentration so the Papatita Sutta tells us that one who does not possess noble concentration is said to have fallen from this Dhamma and discipline is said to have tumbled in a helter and skelter manner from this Dhamma and discipline No. 
concentration is certainly defined as the unification of the mind on its object. And its characteristic is given as non-wandering or non-distraction. Its function is to unite, to conglomerate the associated mental states and it certainly is manifested as peace and wise attention and happiness are said to be its uh, uh, proximate cause. Now, when we are not possessed of noble concentration, then this means that the mind of such a person is dispersed, is distracted, is not collected, is not stable, not steadfast, wandering and not unified. And what would you say? Such a mind will be in a position to easily gain states of absorption in the Samatha meditation. And would you say with such a mind it will be easy to gain momentary concentration, kanika, samadhi, in the vipassana practice. Easy or not? Not easy. And a distracted mind will not allow be this in samatha meditation, will not allow for the arising of the first jhana, second jhana, and certainly so on. And again, a highly distracted mind will not be the proper foundation for the arising of intuitive wisdom. Now, when wisdom does not arise, this has implications. It means that we will not gain for ourselves in a direct manner the knowledge which discerns between mind and matter nama and satna rupa we will not gain the intuitive knowledge that mm, discerns uh, no, or yeah that discerns mm, the factors or cause and effect in regard satna to bodily and satna mental you know, formations nor will 
noble one gain with such a distracted mind the intuitive knowledge or intuitive understanding of the impermanence of formations of the suffering nature of formations and the non-self aspect of formations so with that would you say it is justified to say that we are falling from the from this dhamma and discipline justified or not yes indeed so we're missing out on a number of benefits that could arise if the mind were to be concentrated and on the other hand In the case of a person who is endowed with noble concentration, who in the context of the Vipassana practice possesses momentary concentration, Kanikatna Samadhi, such a person will have a collected focused uh, one-pointed mind and uh, will enter with such a mind one or intuitive based on such a mind intuitive wisdom will arise and one will be able to discern mind from matter cause and effect and so on and so forth and with this one is no longer falling from this domain discipline but rather being secure in this Dhamma and certain discipline now A mind in a mind that is distracted, not certainly collected, not unified, such a mind can be described as a defiled mind. And in this case, the mind is defiled overcome by the so-called obsessive defilements and defilements certainly that activate the dormant or latent defilements and with that they spring into action and manifest on a mental level 
So these kind of fatna defilements, the second grade of defilements is referred to as the Pariyutana Kilesa in the Pali scriptural language. Your obsessive defilements. Now, again, there is a huge difference between a person whose mind is lacking unification, whose mind is distracted and not stable, not steadfast, wandering, dispersed, etc., and a person's certain mind that is just the opposite of this, namely collected, unified, concentrated, focused, one-pointed, etc. So in the first case, the jhanas cannot occur, momentary concentration that does not occur. In the second case, however, the arising of the jhanas in the context of samatha meditation is a possibility as well as you know, the arising of momentary concentration kanika samadhi in the context of vipassana uh, practice. So there's a huge difference here bet- uh, between um, these two cases. A case of a person whose mind is not concentrated and the case of a person whose mind is concentrated. Now, it is with concentration that, by way of the training in concentration, samadhi sikha, that we overcome um, these obsessive you know, defilements, pariyutana, kilesas. And as uh, most of you will be aware of, concentration has this ability to suppress you know, defilements, in particular you know, the hindrances. Now, this does not mean that the hindrances will be gone once and forever, but it means that at least temporarily, as long as this concentration is present, they will be suppressed, will be subdued. With that then allows for the arising of a certain, a relative but not absolute, purity of the mind. Now, we're already somewhat advanced in terms of time. Allow me to conclude today's Satna discourse by wishing. May we all, rather than not possessing noble and virtuous conduct, Rather than not possessing noble concentration, 
rather than not possessing noble wisdom and not possessing noble liberation, instead may we possess, may we be endowed with noble and virtuous behavior, noble concentration, noble wisdom that certainly then quite automatically will or naturally will lead to the arising of noble liberation and hopefully during this very retreat near here at Satna Tauski Valley in uh, New Mexico. And this is it for uh, part one.